Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a pretty horrific weekend of rugby for the Australian rugby team. And so we thought that, well, with the great news of the Australian cricket team getting up and winning the 2020 World Cup, why not change things up a bit and talk about cricket instead of rugby? So hello and welcome to the Swing and Drive Cricket Podcast. Mitch, how are you, mate? (laughs) Very good. Very good. Don't know the, the first thing about cricket. So, I'm very much out of my depth. I can confidently say that I haven't watched a single second of the Cricket World Cup, of the uh, 2020 World Cup. So, yeah, look, look, honestly, in a a real conversation, we are Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all (laughs) things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive. So, get involved. Get involved. Now we're missing Rev tonight. He unfortunately had a couple of commitments that meant he couldn't get here. So you're back to the regular, the OG dynamic duo of Mitch and I. Mitch, how was your weekend, mate? Yeah, pretty good. I went away with the wife for just a few days, which was nice. Got out of Sydney, got out of the hub, um, hubbub. And yeah, watched, got up early on Sunday morning to watch the Wallabies game. Unfortunately, wasn't too impressed with what I saw. Uh, it's been a pretty tough tour so far for the Wallabies, but we'll get into that detail a little bit later. And for any of you pundits playing at home, um, you might be lucky that this isn't a live show this week because Mitch is <laughs> as bright red as a beetroot from his beach shenanigans. So <laughs> We just needed to tell everyone that. Thanks, Ando. Appreciate yeah, that. You're, you're welcome, mate. You've given me crap in previous yep, weeks. So now it's fair enough. All right. So, um, yeah, mate. Oh, for everybody, I'm Ando. Hi. Just realised I didn't introduce myself. And one of the things that I loved about this weekend was watching the French women's rugby. It was incredible. If you go back, watch their second try of the game it is based it is just a french rugby at its absolute best and what we're seeing here is really this shift away from kind of new zealand particularly dominating women's rugby and australia being a real force prior to that to the northern hemisphere teams which who have brought in professional professionalism within the women's game much earlier really take this step away so it just makes it even more sad to know that the Wallaroos haven't played since 2019. Is that right, mate? Yeah, that is right. It's I sent off a tweet last week, pretty fired up on my personal account, just saying how horrible it is that Rugby Australia has missed this opportunity. There's something like 15 tests going on over, over the course of the next sort of three weeks for the women's game over there. So New Zealand's playing, England, France... Wales, Japan, all their women's teams are over in Europe playing test matches and Australian, the Wallaroos are at home and it's just so poor from Rugby Australia. I know COVID, it is an excuse. It is hard to get them together and whatnot, but World Cup next year, it's not good enough for the, the women to be in Australia, not playing games, not even training together as a group with only a few months to go to the World Cup when this sort of competition, Autumn Nations women's competition is going on overseas. It's just a very poor missed opportunity by Rugby Australia. 
So we encourage you to get loud and proud about the women's game and to make a lot of noise and just tell RA that this isn't good enough. Uh, they have been all right in a pretty turbulent time for Australian rugby, but that's looking at it from the men's perspective. They, mm. There really hasn't been that much that's going on, even in terms of just communication and marketing and social media engagement within a women's game. And uh, there's a really good article by Hugh96 um, on the Raw today that came out where he was basically just surmising maybe they don't have anything to say so they're not saying anything they've got nothing good to add because mm. they are doing nothing for the women's game it's conjecture um but either way we're just a bit disappointed so look with that being said go watch that french match it is incredible <laughs> the way that french team is playing uh but before we go any further mitch can you take us through our social media platforms please i sure can so on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby we're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page, and we're also on Twitter at Pick underscore Drive Rugby. Please do give us a like, a follow, and a retweet on there. We are pretty vocal on most of those platforms, some a little bit more than others, but we love hearing from you. We got a lot of comments in this week. We got a lot of comments in last week. It's great to hear everyone's opinions on the games and we're basically now just structuring our episodes around people's opinions yep. because we're getting so many in, which is fantastic. So one other thing that we can ask you to do, if you do like the podcast, tell your friends about it. Give us a rating on, on whatever platform you're listening to because it helps with the algorithm. We'd love to be featured up there in the top whatever for whatever category just to have rugby featured in the top of sports yep. and podcasts and that kind of thing. But tell your friends about it as well because... If the more people we can get listening to rugby podcasts, we can convert them, we can talk about it, we can get them loving the game. Um, that's the best thing that we can ask for. Especially positive rugby podcasts as well. There's just so many people bagging a game. Let's talk up the good things. And so we get to start the evening off by talking about a pretty good thing that's been announced today as of recording is a Super Rugby Pacific competition draw has been released and there's some pretty interesting points that we're going to go through just in a broad sense we're going to do a detailed team by team breakdown uh early next year where we go into the depth of each of the draws and matchups and the team lists and stuff like that this yep. is just a bit of an overview and then following on from that the main course for the evening will be the review of the automation series combined with the listener questions the two matches that we're going to talk through in detail are england versus australia and ireland versus new zealand so we might mention the scores of the other matches but we really want to focus on those two matches so without any further ado let's head on into the super rugby pacific chat let's go all right let's start the episode on a positive note so directly from twitter we received a request from steve lenthal and he asked start on a positive this week talk up the 2022 fixtures for super rugby pacific being released today Thank you, Steve, for getting involved. That's exactly what we're going to do. So we will chat through Super Rugby Pacific now. We won't go through the draw in a lot of detail. We plan to do that next year when we break down the Aussie Supersides, look at their, their draw, look at the team, give our predictions of that kind of thing early next year. For now, we're just going to sort of look at the draw as a whole, the interesting things that Sanzar's come out with and some of the new innovations that we've seen. So first of all, for the 2022 draw or the new iteration of Super Rugby, Super Rugby Pacific, uh, the first match will be played February 18th. 12 teams competing, 18 weeks overall, 14 matches plus one by for each team, um, and an eight-team playoff, which we've spoken about before. Now, one of the interesting things as well that's come out of the draw that we hadn't heard anything previously around 
was the introduction of some sort of themed rounds. So round two of the competition played from the 25th of February will be called Super Round, where all games will be played in Melbourne at Amy Park. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Let's just jump into that for a moment before we go into the other different themed rounds that they have. Um, Look, uh, with the greatest respect to Melbourne rugby fans, and I mean that because there are some really passionate fans of rugby down there, uh, it is not the hotbed of rugby mm. in the east coast of Australia. You should be looking to Brisbane for that, and I say that as a Tars fan. I'm living in Sydney my whole life. So really, it should have gone to probably, yeah, um, Queensland because they've got the stadiums there that can hold it. They've got a better rugby crowd. Um, they've got more rugby fans up there and Australian teams have a better record up there. So unless they're just trying to prop up rugby and build rugby in Victoria, maybe that's a reason for it. Um, but it if you're just will, looking from it straight It would be fans, interesting to see how many people do attend over that weekend because I imagine there are quite a few expats from New Zealand that live down in Melbourne who probably don't go to a lot of rugby. So the fact that they will get a chance to see all of their teams playing or multiple of their teams playing may bring them out to a few games in one weekend. So that might be a reason. Uh, I'm just happy with the fact that RA seem to have gotten the snub over New Zealand rugby here, (laughs) that we've been able to host this. Like You would have thought that with the contractual obligations and things that New Zealand would be gunning to play this in Wellington or Auckland. So the fact that we've got it in Australia is a win, first of all. I would yeah. have loved to have seen this actually played in Perth. I think that it's would probably have... too far to travel for um, most well, of the teams. All the teams go though. It's like it, you take the so travel out because everyone's there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just I think the Perth has quite a diverse. Uh, population so i think that that would have been a really good mix of different fans over there to see it and it could be a way of ra saying sorry we kicked you out for a few years we do value you you're hosting super round <laughs> the first ever super round um here you go here you go have yeah. this well it's in melbourne forget so it will about, be interesting to see how it goes what does it forget about 2017 was that the year they got kicked out yeah i um, think so yeah anyway back to the other types of rounds yeah so round two as we said is super round round three is the women in rugby round Round six is culture round. Round 10 is the Anzac round, where every game will be played between an Australian and a New Zealand um, opposition with the Moana Pacifica and Fiji and Drua going against each other that round. Round 12 is the heritage round. So a few different rounds introduced here. I don't really... like. I like the idea in theory of having different rounds to prop up or to um, pay homage to certain people. So in the culture round, we'd be paying homage to the different cultures that represent that that team, sort of yep. like the Pacifica jerseys that we saw mm-hmm. the, uh, the Brumbies wearing last year and this year. Uh, Anzac round's a great thing. I think that's awesome to see. Uh, I don't know yet how much it actually affects the draw, though, because when you look into Heritage Round, you kind of would be expecting to see, you know, the Tars playing the Reds or the yeah. Crusaders playing the Blues that kind of thing, but the Tars are playing the, the Drua that round. So I mm. I imagine that just got a little too hard to try and logistically make those things happen in the draw across the table completely. But yeah. I like the idea and I, I do wonder if we will see, what is that? That's four different rounds. One, two, three, yep. five different rounds. Five including Super Rugby. Yeah, super um, like different jerseys. So that essentially we'll have six different jerseys oh, for each God, Super Oh, God, I hope not. 
I hope not. That's what the NRL the do. The price that they flog them off at is just insane. No one says you drop have it to, to like. No one bucks. says you have to buy the Mando. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Um, hey, have you noticed with the Anzac round that they actually have um, made it so it's an Australian versus Kiwi team? Yeah. So Highlanders, Brumbies, Tars, Crusaders, Force Boys, Canes, Reds, Moana Pacifica, Fiji and Drua, and Rebels Chiefs. So I love that. I mean, we might come out five nil against Australian teams. Oh, we will. Um, we will. <laughs> I don't know. The Waratahs are at home against the Crusaders. That should go well. I don't want to, yeah, I won't go there. I, I was going to say, we did beat them in, at the SCG a few years ago, but there was that, the Christchurch earthquake. That was or, after the earthquake. Wasn't yeah, it? so I was like, I don't want to yeah. go there. I don't want to say we need a natural disaster to beat the Crusaders, <laughs> Ooh, but uh, I've now just said it. So recording. thanks, Ando, I've said one. it. <laughs> yeah, because I made you say that. Yeah. Hey, um, so basically there's 18 weeks in total, 14 matches with one by each, 18 playoffs. So eight of the 12 teams get into the finals. What do you think about that one? Yeah, we've, we've spoken about it in the past. It's it's not ideal. It is a lot. And it it does seem a bit unusual that only four teams out of the whole competition don't make it through to the finals. But yeah. in saying that, we want as many, as many games as possible for our teams and we want as many Australian teams represented as possible. So that does give the chance theoretically or mathematically to hopefully two, at least two teams from Australia making it through. So um, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. For, this first, for this first iteration of Super Rugby Pacifica, uh, Pacific, yeah. I, I don't know if going forward that will be the locked-in method. We'll see how it goes this year. It might be a little bit too convoluted. might be a bit too long. Um, and the, the whole idea of first playing eighth and all that sort of stuff is, might just be a little bit too unrealistic. It might just be easier to do the top four, go through and whatever, but yep. we'll see what happens. It's a new era. It's a new competition. So it's interesting. I'm really liking the fact that we've now moved out to 15 rounds instead of the 10 from last couple of years and that the Pacific, uh, with the finals, that takes us out to 18 potential matches for teams. Uh, the the kind of comparison point that I always use is the English Premiership Rugby and they've got 26 rounds plus um, a couple of finals games. So it just shows that, I mean, we're still pretty significantly about 10 regular games behind what the English are doing with the length of their season. And we saw in a match over the weekend how some of the players who were called into the English setup that hadn't had a huge amount of game time performed particularly well uh, against the Wallabies. And I just, I, we need more games. So we're moving in the right direction, but I would love to see it expand, the season expanded a little bit further and to try and I get some. The only issue with that is where we currently sit. I don't know what other team do you introduce. So we oh, even have question marks more over. Matches. Yeah, but um, then what do we do? Play a third round? So you're playing another team a third time or you're uh, really going around and playing everyone in the competition twice? It might just make it a little too long, too much well, of the I same sort of thing. I think everybody twice is the simplest way to understand it. Mm. It does take away the opportunity, the financial opportunity that multiple derbies provides. Mm. Um, but look, it depends. At the moment, I guess we need the finances of those derby matches. Um, but I think there needs to be some long-term planning kind of just creeping into it where we go, okay, well, once we're in a better position financially, can we look at actually expanding the competition to having to have a few more games in to lengthen the season, to give players more opportunities and more experience? Because um, you saw with a player like Noah Lelisiu last season where he was injured for, what, four or five rounds? Mm. And he basically missed uh, the, almost the equivalent of the full season um, just with a bit of a hamstring injury that wasn't even that serious. So, yeah, anyway, that's just a point. Hopefully um, the organisers keep it in mind for later that 
an expanded competition or at least more games would be beneficial for um, all the teams involved. That's right. Well, in exciting news, the very first game of Super Rugby Pacific ever will see Moana Pacifica hosting the Brumbies at Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland. I'm excited for this one just for the fact that Christian Liliafano will be going up against the Brumbies again. Like yeah, how, how good. Like first off, first game straight into it. How good. And I mean, I'm always excited to see Sakopi Kepu. He's one of my favorites. So hopefully he's starting. But just seeing him running around in Super Rugby again has got me excited. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it kicking off. Now, there's one thing I do need to critique, and I'm sorry for everybody who's not a Waratahs fan, but I've got to say this. How the hell have they locked in three of their home matches at the SCG? Like, like what? who signed surely, up to this agreement whilst the stadium was getting rebuilt? Surely we've spoken about this in the past, have we not, as Tars fans? But not, not to... Well, yes, we have. We definitely have. But I'm amazed that we have three of our home games at the SCG. Contractually, like we have to. or two? We have do to. we have to have three? We do because... Was it three last season? Because the SCG Trust owns the new uh, football stadium. They own both. And so mm. we contractually have to play all of our home games at Allianz, old Allianz Stadium or it old SFS. That's where we would play all our home games before. Yep. We wouldn't move yep. them around Sydney. They're building it, so we have to go elsewhere. Uh, it comes into now it's quite hard for the New South Wales rugby to try and get the stadiums locked in because of the NRL and all the different comps mm-hmm. that are going on in Sydney. But because the SCG Trust do own both, both stadiums, we have an obligation to play at least three games there. It's not ideal for us. But yeah. because yeah. we have that long-term agreement with the SCG, we can't get out of that. My hope is that the players will actually come across to the fans at different parts of the Oval. Like one of the most annoying things was being a fan <laughs> there and wanting to chat to some of the players after the game and what, two players came over to yeah. our side of the field? Like it was just... Well, maybe uh, oh, maybe New anyway. South Wales rugby, they need to get them segues or something because it legitimately <laughs> it is, is a long way, way to get to the fans, <laughs> isn't it? It's like four, yeah, five, six hundred metres. To get to the sideline where the fans sit, it's crazy. It's just (laughs) such a bad venue for rugby. Well, either way, I think with the um, overall kind of structure of this draw, knowing what the competition was going to be in advance, I think that this is a pretty good outcome. Um, I'm liking the Super Round, even if I somewhat disagree that that it's in Melbourne. I like the opportunity that they have for the other different variety rounds that have been introduced. Um, And I love that Moana Pacifica are opening the competition as the newest team to join, considering the Fiji and Drua have been involved in NRC and stuff like that in the past. Mm. So there's a lot to like about this. And, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds and I can't wait to deep dive into each of the draws and the team list closer to the time. Yep. Well said. Shall we move on? I'd love to. Let's go. There were many games of rugby over the weekend, some that we want to watch again many, many times to sweetly savour the downfall of the darkness and some (laughs) that we do not want to touch again because it is simply yet another uh, confirmation of the stranglehold that Eddie Jones has over Australian rugby. But 
let's go through the results from the weekend's matches, maybe have a quick one or two comments at the nature of the kind of outcome of the game before we get into the deep dives for England, Australia and Italy, sorry, Ireland, New Zealand, not Italy, Argentina. Italy, Argentina was the first game of the weekend with Argentina coming away 37 to 16 victors against Italy. Next up, we have Scotland kind of meekly rolling over in the second half, 15 to 30 to the world champion South Africans. Ireland got up in a oh, before we move victory. off that one I do need to point out that South Africa and now the holders of the Rayburn Shield they are yep. they are they've taken it back off Scotland who stole it from us after we stole it from South Africa so we were so, just the, the pain in the side for them to take it off and hold it for a few games and now we've given it back it's amazing how that kind of works but then like a team like Scotland or um who's South Africa playing next week I can't remember um but a team like Scotland just won't get another chance for like another 12 months yep. if that uh, it's incredible. So I kind of love the way that works. I'm, mm. I'm really getting involved in this Rayburn Shield chat, hey? Yep. Uh, then Ireland got up over New Zealand in an incredible match, 29 to 20. Thoroughly deserved their win over a shell-shocked New Zealand team. England ran away with it in the end, 32 to 15, with a late converted try, kind of blowing the score out a little bit more than it actually was, although England, again, were deserved winners. France just wiped the floor with Georgia, 41 to 15, before Wales kind of pulled away at the end for a deserved 38 to 23 game uh, win against Fiji with the game kind of pretty much in the balance for the first half at least it was a very very pulsating encounter between Wales and Fiji great to watch some amazing tries being scored from both teams so uh, any quick comments about any of those matches you'd like to touch on Mitch before we move on to our main yeah I watched I watched the first half of the Scotland and South Africa game I gotta say I was really impressed with Scotland again they put in a really good performance in that first half uh, really pushed South Africa, and I, from memory, they were leading or they were not far behind at the break. So I was hoping that, like the Irish game, that there was going to be a bit of an upset on the card, cards, and Scotland would then re, um, re-hold the Rayburn Shield moving forward. But no, they did roll over, unfortunately, and South Africa did uh, take the game in the second half. Yep, and for me, I go back and check out Fiji's length of the field try. It is absolutely incredible. Some of the Fijian sevens flair making its way across into 15 or 15s rugby. But what I would give to have Lee Halfpenny at 15 for Australia, he is just incredible. His defensive cover, his ability under the high ball, but not even just to securely take the ball, but to take it at pace and to then turn that into an attacking opportunity a la Izzy Folau. It, it is just incredible. He's one of my favourite backfield players in the game at the moment. And um, just seeing some of the like Kurtley Beale wasn't bad for the Wallabies he wasn't great he didn't do that much in a pretty stuttering back line mm-hmm. but seeing a player like Liam Williams come out and just absolutely dominate is just oh incredible makes me wish we had more yep. um any final comments before we move on my friend no I think we can just dive on into the two games yeah, okay, let's rip the Band-Aid off. England versus Australia. Like I said before, England got up 32-15. to 15. Uh, Starting again with Steve Lenthal because he's the originator, the progenitor of all that is good in the world. He <laughs> wanted us to discuss the inclusion of Skelton at the expense of Philip and Swain. And I think this really comes into a bit of a broader question, and we might start with this to begin with. Mm. Uh, what do you rate the impact of the French four coming into it? So who have we got? We've got Skelton, Rodder... Latu and Beal. How well, have their inclusions Rodder, been so far? Rodder's Sorry, not Rodder. Um, Arnold. I Arnold, meant to say Arnold. Yeah. 
I'm just going to say, I mean, technically he kind of is, but he's also <laughs> technically not. Um, yeah, my mistake. Um, yeah, that's right. How, how do you rate their input and involvement so far? Was it a good decision to bring them in or did we kind of have no other choice considering some of the um, injury problems or uh, contractual issues that we've had within the team? It's, it's not an ideal situation that the Wallabies have found themselves in in this last few weeks. And we've probably made the best outcome of a bad situation, but... They've they've all performed. They haven't performed. I won't say they performed badly, but I think we, as Australian rugby fans, expected a lot more from them. But when we take back that expectation and actually look at the the situation and and how long they've been with the team, in terms of cohesion, in terms of time with the team, learning the calls and things, we can't have expected them really. Honestly, yeah. sitting now, kind of expected them to come in and break the game. We were lucky that Samu Karevi and Quade Cooper had such influences on our side earlier on, but we didn't really have anyone else that was stepping up to take those spots. Um, the players that have come in now haven't had as much of an impact in the team as we were hoping for, or impact at all, really. Uh, Skelton hasn't done a whole lot in second row for the Wallabies. I don't know. There's been a lot of talk around us not actually using him effectively. Like, he doesn't seem yeah. to be used as a crash ball like a player of his size should be. He very much feels like we've just used him like we would have used Philip or Swain. Yep. Do the same yeah. sort of things. Dismantle them all. He's not doing that. That's not his game, though. And we don't have enough time with these players to actually mold them and build and change our game plan to fit them into it either. So... Overall, they've been a little bit disappointing. Uh, the player I think that's been the best so far out of those four is Rory Arnold. I think, well, of, and, and partly you can just point to that as being he's had the most minutes of any of the players. Um, whilst Beal played the whole game this weekend, he was a what, injury substitution in the first match. Yeah. Um, and then Tolu Latu only got a few minutes off the bench in his second match. And Will Skelton's had maybe 20 minutes in both games off the bench. And in both of the games that he's played, we haven't really had much of the ball in the dying phases of the game. So what opportunity has Skelton had to actually impress? Not much at all. Tolu Latu's first engagement was to do a grass cutter tackle at the knees of the attacking player. <laughs> I can't believe that hasn't been cited. If they'd shown that back in slow motion, I think he would have been carded and sent off. Um, I don't see the value of him over someone like Fleeti Kaitu in the squad. I think they should have brought someone from someone local over, yeah. unless it was to see what Latu brings. And now that that's done, it's cut him off again. I'm not sure. I'm just not rating his involvement. Beal, I think Kirtley Beal is suffering from the negative perceptions that Australian rugby fans have had of him prior to his journey over to France. I don't think he was particularly good in the first game, particularly in the way he was upright within a couple of the tackles yeah. that he went into. In this match on the weekend, he wasn't great, but he wasn't poor either. He, he comfortably diffused the high balls. He had a couple of decent attacking runs. Remember that little pop pass over the top to Michael Hooper that went, went to ground and then went out? But <laughs> it, that wasn't his fault. Hooper should have been wider because there was space out it there. It went over his head regardless. Like even who, if Hooper was a few metres to the side, it still probably would have found touch. No, because he got his fingertips to it when being in close. If he'd been out wide, it would have been fine. And I just think that people are just crapping on Kirtley Beal because they don't like Kirtley Beal rather than actually having a look at his involvement. That being said, he's only there because, what, Banks and Hodge both got injured in the lead-up um, and we don't really have anybody else that's a 
bona fide 15. So I don't think he's a long-term option. He's just a gap filler at the moment. So I don't really have an issue with his involvement. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure if this experiment in the French four has been worth it, but why don't we actually get into the game itself? So having watched the game, you said that you kind of didn't catch it live, but you watched it back afterwards. Yep. Just straight away, what were some of the key takeaways that you had just in a brief kind of overview form? Yeah. So first of all, it's just our discipline has gone out the window in the last few weeks. And I don't know yeah. whether that yeah. comes from the in inclusion of those four players, because it's not the players that are giving away the penalties as aren't necessarily those French-based players. It's it's other players. It's Bell. It's uh, you know it's Slipper. Like we're getting pinged everywhere across the board. Really, we've had some pretty harsh calls go against us in both games. And it it as a Wallabies fan, it is very hard to sit here and not be like we were we've got the rub of the green go against us every single game. Like it's we've been hard done by, but we haven't adapted and we've been mm -hmm. doing similar silly mistakes giving away possession too easily in these last few weeks and we haven't learnt anything from it. Um, we were never able in this game to put more than four or five phases together before we got pinged for something, threw the ball away, kicked it aimlessly away. We just we never were able to put England under sustained pressure for a long period of time and yep. we never got a good opportunity in the 22 to actually score some points. I think a big part of that comes from just some of the basic stats that we can look at to support this. Rev, you're not here, so I'm taking over your job, mate. But um, for anybody that, was, that doesn't know, the Automation Series website is fantastic for the match stats that it provides, okay? So make sure you check it out. It's better than anything that's available in Australia. And I've been tweeting at Stan Sport people to <laughs> get involved with this. <laughs> but uh, you can check out the rock recycle speed, right? To see the speed at which the ball is made available for the continuation of the phase play. And uh, you look at the rock recycle speed of six plus seconds and essentially 40 percent of our rucks took over six seconds for the ball to get out of them that is incredible and what in that speaks to in my mind is two points number one the amount of times that we were playing with the ball in our own half and then therefore setting up for a box kick from a ruck in our own defensive area so we're not playing and having an opportunity for a turnover in our own half but secondly, that also speaks to the impact of people like Sam Underhill and Curry as well in the English back row. Their nuisance making at the ruck was incredible. And I think that our forwards and our loose forwards just struggled to ensure quick, continuous possession um, when we had the ball. So, yeah, a big credit to England for that ruck pressure that they were able to apply. Um, all right, let's I'm trying jump to, back I'm in. just trying to look for the amount of kicks that we made, and I can't actually see it here. But what I was going to um, say is, it felt a few. It felt a lot of the time like the reason we were slowing it down was because we were box kicking a lot. And yep. I noticed early in this game as well that we've adapted the the English caterpillar. So in the, yeah, I think the first yeah. or the second ruck of the game, we had four players lined up, and Nick White comes and puts his boot all the way back through four sets of feet to kick the ball. And I was like, oh man, we've we've done it. We've just that's that's contributing to the slow rock recycle yeah, speed, isn't it? Um, it is. So we kicked thirteen point four percent of our possession. Um, England twelve point seven, so it's marginal. It's essentially the same. Yeah. And I don't really have an issue with that because box kicking isn't inherently bad. Um, we saw in Michael Checker's tenure that it's a bad idea to just play the ball from wherever you are in the field, mm. and that playing in the right parts of the field matter. And that was something that the Wallabies were obviously trying to do within this game. But why don't we keep going through? Yeah, some of our my only point was that I think a lot of the time that the or the reason that our ruck speed was slow is because we were kicking it a lot. 
So mm. that slowed down that percentage. Yep. yep. Uh, speaking to um, some of what you were saying before about maybe changing players, was that Joey Hoey has said, Wallaby's showing the pitfalls of chopping and changing selections in key positions. All Blacks got outplayed. Uh, we'll come back to that one for the All Blacks. But I somewhat agree is that there has been some change in key positions. I mean, mm. look, if you look at our front row, that's been pretty solid except for injury required changes. So I don't really have any particular issue there. Um, but look, I, again, disagree with bringing Latu into the team because our scrum, uh, our line-out malfunctioned pretty significantly in the second half. Yep. Um, I'm also just not a fan... Oh, I don't know what to say about that. Do you have any comments in terms of the changes that have been made? At the moment, look, again, we're in that situation where we've had to bring in these players to to fill voids that have left through either COVID unavailability, uh, contractual obligations or injury. Uh, it was great to see Ollie Hoskins get his debut over the weekend and um, yeah, well done for story? him. Great story. Really yep. happy for him as a, as a Wallaby, as an Australian player to get the call up. But I'm sitting here just hurting for Harry Johnson Holmes because he should have he should be there. That should be his he should be playing against England this week. And it's just unfortunate that he's in Sydney. He can't get out of New South Wales. He couldn't travel with the Wallabies. But yep. we should be play we should be picking Australian based super rugby players to fill the voids at the moment, not people who are playing overseas. Yep. Again, COVID COVID issues, it it's it's unfortunate. But I mean, at the moment, Harry Johnson Holmes has one cap for the Wallabies. He's been playing quite well for the Waratahs. He played great last season. Yeah, so it would have been fantastic to see him get rewarded with another cap. But at the same time, we understand that with New South Wales in the COVID lockdown situation they are, they can't fly him over there. Yep. Um, Yeah, it's, it's really unique. We haven't got other teams having this kind of issue where they're calling in players based in Europe into the squad because they just don't have enough players to make up the numbers for the 23. So it's in theory, I think we were all hoping that going into this European tour that they, these players had been playing well overseas would really want to perform well for the Wallabies when they got that Jersey back and, and put in a really good effort. But realistically, like we said before, they haven't had enough time to, to gel with the team, the players that they haven't played with. Like looking at Will Skelton, his last test or his last game in an Australian jersey or in an Australian super rugby team was in 2015. Yep. So he's been away for seven years and we're expecting him to come in and just perform like he's played with these players for so long. He's been playing in Europe and France, in England and France for so long, longer than he's been playing in Australia. So they're doing their basics, but they're not going to have the game impacts that we're, we're expecting, particularly in the second row. All right, a few stats that I'm going to throw in there for this game because I want to get back into just some of our general chat is uh, the time that we had in possession was 11 minutes and 33 seconds compared to 17 and 48 seconds. But our time in opposition 22, 14 seconds. Mm. We literally spent 14 seconds with the ball in the opposition 22 compared to England's three minutes and 44 seconds. Um, I I feel like that came at the very end of the game. When we yeah. made that break down the side and then offloaded into the England's hands and they ran through and scored that try. Overall possession was 40 to 60 against us, 37 to 63% in terms of territory. Possession in opposition, 22, 21 to 2. Like, it was incredible. We had 77% of our own possession in our own half. 
And to me, what that shows us is that we, England were able to keep us pinned back in our half and that every time we tried to get an attacking option going, we would be our own worst enemy and either commit a handling error, knock the ball on, um, or just, just lose the ball. We gave away 15 handling errors and 12 bad passes within that game. And it's just not good enough. Our defensive integrity was actually decent. We made 83% of our tackles compared to England's 75%. But just far too many errors, far too many mistakes. Um, and that leads us into a pretty interesting part of the conversation I wanted to bring up, which was the involvement of the referee and particularly the TMO. So Brian Knight brings in the question or the comment that World Rugby need to pull the TMO back into line, nearly heard him more than a commentary on the game. Nice bit of hyperbole there, mate. <laughs> Love it. Um, we have uh, Jock Cudmore saying TMO should only be involved if they have a reason and none of this going to look for anything. The New Zealand versus Ireland ref said at one point something like, we're just clearing it to make sure it's all good. That's wrong. Don't go looking for anything that would disallow a try. Go up with yep. a reason. So let's start off with this comment. Um, was Tom Wright's card a yellow card? By the letter of the law, it was. It was yeah. unlucky. Yeah. It's yeah. unfortunate. And as an Australian fan, we're sitting here hoping that they took into consideration that at the last minute, the English player George, I think it was, Jamie yep. George, Jamie did George. step at the last minute. And so, uh, Tom Wright had to shift his body weight to try and complete the tackle. Take the impact, yeah. But the at the same yeah. time, he still went high. And unfortunately... He, he did, yeah. He did end up making contact with his head. So, by the letter of the law, it is a yellow card. It's frustrating. Um, I think the most frustrating part about that, and it is something that we saw later on in the game a few times, is that the referee, Piper, was standing right there. And so, he blew... He he played on. And so, I think there was a penalty afterwards for something else, but he didn't actually come back and say, let's look at that tackle. He was fine with it. Yep. It's only when the yep. TMO said, check, check, I need to show you this on the screen. And he did it a few other times as well. So, yep. the fact is... And Shawnee said it in commentary as well is the frustrating thing is the referee is standing right there and he's seen it and he's fine with it. The TMO then intervenes and says, I need to show you this. The referee then can't say that's fine, play on because the yeah. TMO's shown it and brought it to his attention. So yeah. if the TMO deems that it's a necessary sanction or that something needs to come from it, how often do we ever see the referee go, no, that's fine, get rid of it. I don't want to see it. It never happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think Damon Murphy is probably the only referee from memory that I think I've seen. He did it once in Super Rugby AU this year. The TMO brought something up and he's like, no, nah, that's fine. Get rid of it. Um, yep. <laughs> he's quickly, get it off the cap. Yeah, the screen. exactly. Let's play on. This is ridiculous. Yeah. But in and this so thing, then- it's frustrating. <laughs> the TMO was interjecting so often. Mm. Mm. And that kind of takes us then to the uh, second yellow card against Angus Bell. For me, this is cut and dry yellow. I actually have absolutely no issue with this being a yellow. What do you think? Yeah, um, again, letter of the law, it has to be a yellow. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just dumb. He though. shouldn't have lifted. Yeah, it was ineffectual. But, you know, you lift a player without cause above the horizontal and drop him down, it's going to be a yellow card. Like, it was unnecessary. It was slightly after the tackle. Sorry, slightly after the ball had gone. Like, dude, just there's no need for that. Um, do so, it. I actually don't have a massive issue with that call. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, crap, that's a yellow card. Yep. Um, I was just glad he, he didn't land on his shoulder or, any, or neck or anything like that. 
Um, otherwise, we would have been fighting a red card. But I think, are we kind of both in agreement that the TMO shouldn't be getting involved unless it is clearly, oh, I don't even know, because does a yellow card for slight head contact meet a threshold of like dangerous play? Um, or well, it's foul play, foul play, isn't it? Yeah. It's foul play and that's what they yeah. deem it. The, so I think I just don't want the World to Rugby at the end of this Autumn Nation series really needs to review the TMO protocols because... Mm. At the moment, it very much... I was under the uh, assumption that the Timo could only get involved when there had been clear and obvious foul play or when he was being called upon to check the validity of a try for a specific reason. And as Jock Codmore had said in that game, the referees need to be better in their communication. We can't get into the habit of just saying, okay, try scored. Why? What are we looking at here? Look at everything and let me know. It's... The referee needs to go. I think I saw the player roll a second time there. Let's check that. And if they if they didn't, fine, award the try. Because if we start slowing everything down, we will find reasons in every single play of rugby to award a penalty. That's the way the game has been written. The laws of the game are written that every single breakdown, someone would be doing something illegal. And if we slow it down and look in minute detail at everything, we would find reasons not to award tries. And that's yeah. the frustrating thing. But the most, like in this game, that the penalty that the Nick White copped for uh, like changing his line, as they said, <laughs> was just absolutely ridiculous. The TMO has no reason to get involved in that. That's not yeah. foul play. That's not in a try scoring situation. In what reason can a ref, can a TMO come in and say nine has played a player like if he had tackled a player off the ball fine that's that's clear and obvious uh foul play but changing your line to obstruct a player isn't actually an act of foul play it's just technically an illegal action so the team actually has no right to intervene in that situation yeah yeah um, one of the interesting things is I'm looking now at the TMO uh, protocols within the 2019 trial that was introduced. Mm. Um, and the fascinating thing here is this little phrase, the referee should not be subservient to the system. The referee is responsible for managing the TMO process. The referee is the decision maker and must remain in charge of the game. So that's <laughs> my major problem with this is that in many ways, it seems like the on-field referee is almost being superseded by this like, like um, this godlike event is like deus ex machina that comes into the situation and just provides this oversight and insight that the referee has absolutely no capacity to kind of remove themselves from. Well, and, like look at last week's situation in the yellow yeah. card and the disallowed try. Michael Hooper's talking to uh, not Piper, who uh, Poit. Remain Poit. Poit, yep. yeah. He was talking to me and, and Poit was very... Uh, straightforward in his communication and is Michael it is not my decision I didn't make this call it came from upstairs it's like and Michael Hooper said back to him but you're the ref like it is actually your decision you can't be saying that I didn't make this call it's the TMO you're the one the TMO is there to advise you not to make the decision so you have to either agree with the TMO and say yes I agree and that's the reason and I'm sticking by it but not then shift the blame to the TMO Yep. As you just yep. said, frustrating. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's jump into a couple of Revs notes from I just the wanted match. to quickly say on the Timo thing though, and yep. what has been frustrating in this game particularly is that it very much felt like, and I, I do wonder if 
there was talk on the stand commentary at the time around the bias of the broadcasters. They put things up on the screen <laughs> and that sort of thing. Yep. But yep. I do wonder if it then comes into the way the TMO works is that if the broadcaster is actually showing certain things to the TMO as well, mm. because the mm. TMO can ask the broadcaster for different angles and that kind of thing. So, could it work the other way around in that the broadcasters then, the TMO sitting there watching the replay and they're showing him the same thing over and over and over again. Because yep. I was sitting there and there was so many times, I counted about four or five in this game, where there was high contact on Wallabies players that yep. if slowed down and looked at could be deemed a penalty or a yellow card, but they didn't get looked at. Mm. And so, that's the thing. In real time, none of these decisions were made. Piper and missed all of them yeah. in real time and the TMO intervened and that's what ca- happened. We never saw that happen for England though. And that's yeah, but that's the, that's the nature thing. of home ground advantage. And that's a thing that is always going to come into play. And I'm not sure if there's any way you can kind of legislate against that. Um, and I think in a way, we just need to be more parochial in Australia. We need our television directors to just be absolute sons of guns well, maybe- and just show every single misdeed that the opposition team does and just accept it as a part of the game. Well, maybe we just need someone like Morg sitting in Australia controlling the spider cam. And so, he's the one that's just driving it around and he's like, oh, that looks like a high tackle. I'm just going to go over here and look at the water boy for a minute. And We'd never see anything that's actually happening with the forwards though if Morgs was in control. That's He'd true. He'd be looking at the pretty backline moves. Yeah, he'd be looking at like James O'Connor doing his hair and... and um... <laughs> All right, cool. Um, some of Rev's notes. Some interesting points that there are a number of unused players on the tour so far. So you got Fleeti Kaitu, Colby Fainga, Swinton, Gordon, Fiketti, uh, Duncan Payawa and Filippo Dunguni. So when you have all those players that really could have played a role so far, it's particularly interesting for me that Kaitu hasn't been involved yet. Um, so that's something to be considering. This was our first game of the year without scoring a try. We've got 20 tests until the Rugby World Cup starts and still have the ongoing issues of the numbers two, six, 15, settling our best 10 to 12 combo and our best four, five and 19 set. So there's a fair few issues there that he's highlighted. Um, In my opinion, I actually think Rob Leota has done incredibly well since coming in at six. And I, without a doubt, doubted him. I did not think that he was the right player to be brought into the Wolby setup, yeah. but he is an absolute specimen of a man. He must, he's put on a it's whole the, bunch of muscle. It's the mullet. Maybe the mullet it is. Maybe it. it's, he's the equivalent of the biblical Samson. The mullet is the thing <laughs> giving him strength and power. Um, but he, he's been playing really well. So I don't mind that there's a bit of a fight between him and Swinton at this point for the number six yep. jersey. Um, but yeah, in terms of 2 and 15 in particular, those are really positions which are definitely up in the air with Rugby World Cup, not to Rugby World Cup. I think looking away. at looking at the Kai Tu'u situation is we've seen Kai Tu'u in the Rugby Champs this year and, and he's played well and we know what he brings. He does have areas in his line-out throwing that he needs to fix up, but every hooker in Australian rugby does <laughs> at the yep. moment. We need to see Latu. We hadn't seen him yet. So we were hoping to see Latu of 2019 era, of coming around and just attacking the breakdown, being a menace, putting on big shots and getting us ball at the breakdown. We didn't see that this week. And yep. I don't know whether Rennie wants to see more of Latu knowing that he doesn't have the option of seeing him play Super Rugby Super Rugby Pacific next year, whereas we yep. will see that with Kai Tu'u. Uh, I don't know whether he then just goes back, because this next Wales game really is a must-win now. 
So I do 100%. wonder if if he goes, all right, Latu, that's it. I'm I'm sticking with Kaitu'u. Or he then wants to see more of Latu and gives him another chance. Mm. Mm. That's, yeah, those are some really interesting questions. Now, I know that we've spoken, you and I have been looking at some of the listener comments and been speaking kind of around different elements of the game. What I might do is read through some of Rev's game notes because it provides just some general commentary of features of the game in a bit more of a structured way. So let's quickly roll through that yep. um, just so it feels as though Rev is here with us in spirit, if not in voice. So England were much more dominant at the start of the first half. Kicking game took over in the back end. Wallaby's defensive line-out malls were impressive at repelling them and we took Took the points on offer, although we really didn't look like scoring at all. Didn't cause enough pressure on their rucks. 16 to 15, 43rd minute. We were definitely the worst team, but had done everything to stay in it, but never really clicked. Jocks kicking from hand left a lot to be desired. Attacking lineouts weren't clean enough. Nick White proved the difference twice with good reads, but mostly the try-saving tackle on Jamie George. England kicked towards the sidelines, so even if we got it, they could tackle us out. The Paisami line break and Ikatao had another good carry off that run, but there was just a needless offload that came from it. Yep. Regathered, then he kicks it away in the next phase. Hooper gets injured, immediately followed up by the overthrow from Frank Gaa. Um, Australia were earning two or three scrum penalties with very, very solid given the start of the week. And we basically just kept losing a whole bunch of... Um, a whole bunch of ball within the second half for either questionable calls or just poor discipline and positioning from our players. So it really just shows that we did a lot of things wrong within this game. Mm. And yet we were still in it up until kind of the final moments of the match. So when there are players um, and people and fans that are just absolutely crapping over everybody um, and saying how poor the Wolbies were, I mean, up until the, what, the 71st minute or something? Well, 71st minute, there were still seven points in it. Yep. Marcus Smith okay. gets a penalty in the second, 72nd. Um, From the questionable so, TMO involvement. Yep. And so even then, we're still in the game for the final 10 minutes until they get the try in the 80th minute of the match um, to definitely take it out of grasp. But my point there is, despite how poorly we played, we, we still at times played enough smart rugby to take the points on offer, recognize that our attack wasn't functioning and to stay within the game. And I'm somewhat pleased with that. I'm looking for positives in a bad situation. Mm. And whilst I'm incredibly frustrated with the Wolby's performance, at the very least, we stayed in the game and had the opportunity or were close enough to try and steal the game in the final 10, 15 minutes of the match. For mine, again, this is similar to what I was saying before, is that it comes down to the personnel we have in key positions. So, Bill, for mm. example, at 15, we had no other option. We had to bring him in there. He was yep. great under the high ball. He didn't turn over the possession from the high ball, which, is, which was great. But when he got to the line, he panicked, and he either threw silly offloads, kicked the ball away aimlessly. It just seemed like he, it was obvious, actually, that he didn't have that connection with the players around him. He didn't yep. know what certain calls were. He didn't know that Paisami was going to be running off his hip or that uh, Hooper was going to be in a little bit off the wing sort of thing. So he was making those decisions with no experience and kind of just throwing it and hoping for the best. Mm. And that's where we saw having those key players not available for us. Go back to the French series in the beginning of the year. The young team that Rennie was playing they at least had the combinations together. They they found ways to win games. 
Whereas with these new players coming in, the lack of cohesion, the lack of game time together, we just weren't able to gel together as a unit and find a way to win that game at the end there. The game was there for the taking. But as we sa- as you said, Ando, in that last minute, in that last comment, sorry, the penalty in the 72nd minute, from that point on, I think we only got into England's half once or twice and we gave away possession really easily. That was the, the moment from that penalty for Australia to make a charge for the game, to take it by the scruff of the neck, get in England's half, get a penalty and kick the points or score a try. And we weren't able to do that. Yeah, it's just... Look, there's a lot that could be said. I think the penalty count of 18 to 9 against us is pretty indicative, as well as I mentioned earlier, the fact that we um, had 15 handling errors throughout the whole match and 12 bad passes that went to ground. Like, there's there's a lot of tightening up there and it just shows some of the disjointed nature of our attack on the day. Um, I feel like what we might do, mate, because we've got a couple of final fan questions that we I do want to touch on as mm-hmm. a as a thank you to everybody for jumping in. So this is like a one sentence response you got to do, mate. No, yep. no going off on a ramble yep. or a rant. Mm-hmm. Got to keep it short and concise, okay? Ryan at Celtic334, lacking some game breakers, players that can physically dominate others or have a level of creativity that opponents are making massive changes to where they do things negates their threat. Corimbete, Karevi, Tupo and Cooper are these type of players. He wants Wright out and Parisi in. Are you going to make any changes for any major changes for next week? We're assuming that Alan Alatoa and Taniela Tupo are available again after their head knocks. Yeah, so I'd bring Alan Alatoa in to start Tupo off the bench because I've said all all year that I think he's a better bench impact player. I agree with Parisi being out. I would shift James O'Connor potentially to the bench or out of the 23. I wasn't impressed with him this week at all. And I think that the 10 minutes, the 6 minutes or whatever that Lalesio got for this game when he came on, he actually shored up our attack a lot. And he took the line on and he had good involvement. So... I think we reward Alessio for a good year. James O'Connor has, for whatever reason, just since that injury in Super Rugby, um, Aotearoa, uh, Super Rugby, what was it called? The crossover? Anyway, um, since that injury, he hasn't played well. He hasn't had a good game of rugby since the Super Rugby AU final this year for, my, okay. for mine. So, Alessio in for me. Maybe later in a week we'll put a post up with our predicted team mm. for the Wales match. I think that'd be fun. Okay, Ra Rugby. Uh, for the Wallabies, Wisemantle and McKellar are big issues. I'm not so sure about that one. Um, I think that McKellar has done a pretty good job with our forward pack. Our forward pack basically kept us in that game on a weekend. Mm. So I'm not sure I agree with that statement, rugby, but thank you so much for getting in touch. Um, Scotty Wisemantle, in my mind, has been doing some pretty good things too. Uh, yeah. I think we've just suffered from personnel changes um, Has and yeah. most of them have been enforced. Yeah. Uh, Wombat... Uh, yeah, end of a long season, many top-line players out, injured or unavailable, results aren't good, but it's not the end of the world. We were praising them for great efforts three weeks ago. We're fickle supporters sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that is that is the way, isn't it? That is Wallaby supporters. But the thing is, at the same time, is we, we expect them to be better and they should be better. These guys are professionals, so you would be hoping that they would be performing better than they currently are. So I can see both sides of the coins. We're choosing to be optimistic and look on the the bright side, but I can see why a lot of people are upset as well. Purely from, I guess, coming in and just seeing that Wallabies have beaten South Africa, they've they're five on the trot, they're world beaters, not knowing a lot about rugby, a lot of people are probably just thinking that the Wallabies are gonna be good, tune into this performance and go, wow, these guys are actually not playing well at all. 
Hugh Tindall states, Wallaby's lost because the attack was more out of place than Quagga Smith's nose. Thought the pack muscled up well, even without a tight head props. Can't believe the pack is our strength. Euro four are interesting. Arnold, yes, bring him back. Beer was pretty good, but rather Hodge or Banks, so thanks for your service. Latu and Skelton have too small a sample size. Mm-hmm. I agree on all those points, so yeah. let's carry on. Mick Ryan, we took the points when they were on offer, finally. However, the third string front row structure and missing our first choice, 10 and 13, was too much. 10 and 12, in my mind. Um, Ikatao, nothing will take him away from 13, in my mind, for the next 12 months. He's absolute gold. Uh, however, we never let them get comfortable, which under the circumstances was a mighty feat. Mm-hmm. So well done, Mick, for looking at some of the positives there in what was a pretty dire performance overall. I think we've spoken for a bloody long time on the Wallabies. Why don't we just pay lip service? Actually, no, I want to go into even more depth with I and just enjoy the fact that New Zealand have lost in their third out of the last five games against Ireland since I think it's 2015. Um, so well done to I Ireland. I haven't. I I'll quickly say I didn't get a chance to see this game or the the mini for it. Um, I hear great things, so I'm very much looking forward to it when I get a chance I'll, to watch I'll it later in the week. I'll forgive you knowing that you were away over yeah, the weekend. That's right, but. I haven't seen anything yet, but surely New Zealand, there's a lot of calls going to Scott Robinson and and, uh, some knives are coming out for Fozzie over there at the moment, right? Uh, Look, you'd think that because there are a lot of people that weren't a big fan of his appointment in the first Mm. place um, and thought that, what is it, Razor Robinson should have got the gig in the first place. Uh, So it wouldn't surprise me if he's feeling a bit kind of... um, stressed and pressured. Uh, I'm not a fan of his top button being undone at all the press conferences that he does after the match. To me, it's a sign of a, I don't know, ill-disciplined character. But (laughs) I think that, look, the the Irish team have figured out the way to beat the All Blacks. And that is sustained rock pressure, minimising errors and making sure that you're providing no opportunities for the All Blacks to be counter-attacking off broken phase play. And if you can do those things, then you really limit New Zealand opportunity for tries. So, I mean, it's pretty telling that the two tries both came from Cody Taylor. I mean, one of them was a more pushover and the other one was an awesome breakaway try. So that's that's fair enough. But New Zealand really weren't able to get their attack going within this game. And so why don't we jump now to a couple of the um, fan comments here. Uh, regarding this match. So Joey Hoey states the All Blacks got outplayed and are possibly showing signs of bubble fatigue. They've been on tour for a long time. Mm. Yeah, look, so have the Wallabies. Get over it, New Zealand. I really don't have any sympathy and uh, I'm not convinced that that is a reason for their defeat. Um, Wellington rugby guy, All Blacks lacked midfield go forward. La Mape was the answer there, but that door might be closed for good, which is a shame as he had many of the qualities of Ma'a Nonu, another who took a long time for selectors to appreciate. Maybe it's lethargy after a long season. Look, that comment on lethargy after a long season might be a little bit better than kind of the bubble situation. Uh, we've got to remember that this is essentially the beginning of the international season for these um, European teams. Mm. So their players are fresh as opposed to our players that are at the end of a pretty drawn out um, trans-Tasman competition. We've played the full rugby championship and now have to go over the other side of the world to play um, over in Europe. So I'm not saying it's an excuse, but it's a factor that could be uh, limiting the quality of the South Af- South um, Southern Hemisphere team's performances. 
But I mean, potentially, yes. But at the same time, look at South Africa. Like, they're finding ways to win games at the moment. Look at the Wallabies. Like, they're still hanging in there. They haven't won those last two games, but they've still been close and they're still in there. We've got different situations affecting us than the All Blacks and South Africa have. I don't know if we can be just saying that because it's been such a long year, bubble fatigue, those kinds of things, that's the reason that they lost. I think that the credit needs to go to Ireland. And yep. and they've yep. performed very well. It would be interesting to see if they could do it again next week. No team has to do that. Um, so it, it's great that they can get up and perform well against the All Blacks and they can get that scalp, which is fantastic. And it's great to see. Um, but yeah, it's... It's interesting that, you know, outside of Australia and probably New uh, South Africa, no other team has to face them twice in two weeks. Mm. The fascinating thing for me was the extent to which um, Ireland was able to just completely dominate possession and territory. Okay, so possession stats for the game are 60 to 40 in Ireland's favour. Territory stats are 65 to 35 in Ireland's favour again. And I mean... One of the interesting things is you look at the amount of possession that the Kiwis had in their own half, they had nine minutes of their 14 minutes of possession in their own half. Wow. Whereas the Irish had seven minutes of their 22 in their own half. Mm. So when you actually watch the game back, and I'm kind of excited for you to go <laughs> and watch this game because uh, I saw the tail end of it right as I got up at 4am to watch the Wallabies. So I saw the final kind of 10, 15 minutes of the match and was amazed to kind of see the Irish grind out their win. But the thing that watching the game back, the Irish were just able to maintain time after time consistent goal line pressure on the Kiwis and their ability to build phase play to secure their own rock ball at um, 63% of their rocks were at zero to three seconds in terms of their rock recycle speed, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, to New Zealand's credit, theirs was the same as well. But they were playing with accuracy. They hardly had any kind of handling errors over the course of the game when you consider how much possession they actually had. Um, it was just amazing to watch this accurate, disciplined, physical performance that just completely stunted the New Zealand game. And New Zealand really had no counter for it. Mm. No, great to see. I've got one question for you that I've yeah. seen come out of this game on social media. So mm. I don't, I think it was from the Autumn Nation series Twitter account, but mm. I saw that during the Haka, some Irish fans in the stadium <laughs> started singing an Irish folk song and quite yep. it drowned out the haka, which was great. Yeah. But there are a yeah. lot of people are saying now that that's disrespectful and not taking the haka at full face value. Now, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, personally, I don't think that that's disrespectful to challenge the haka in any way. And I feel like we're starting to get into an era of putting the haka on a pedestal that's unfair and above other nations. What, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, my initial thought... Um like it's twofold. Mm. My Aussie white boy nature goes to the idea of, yeah, well, just go for it. Like I have no issue as long as it's not like yelling or jeering, mm. but maybe singing a, an anthem or singing something that's culturally relevant, like an Irish folk song, yep. um, if you will. That's, that's totally fine in my white boy Aussie perspective, right? <laughs> but I also don't have that heritage that understand the significance of the haka yep. and i don't know within maori culture whether or not 
um, singing or interrupting it is incredibly disrespectful. I don't know. If it is, then perhaps it should not be interrupted. Um, perhaps not. But if I was it, a it was game fans. between maybe it Samoa or I, I know, I know. But I'm just thinking, it was it a game between Samoa or Tonga where they did their um, they do it together. Yeah. Did their challenges or war cries against each other at yeah. the same time? Yeah, it, could this not be a equivalent of that? Well, this is this is my my issue, right? And this is what I was sort of alluding to: is that world rugby has placed the haka above other nations, and so other nations like Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, they have their own war dances. But because New Zealand are the best in the world of rugby, it's when the haka is done, you watch. When Samoa and Tonga play each other, they do it at the same time. It's kind of like a call and response. But when mm. the huck is played, it's you watch, you see us do our war dance, and then you get to do yours. Yeah. So, it's it's a little bit like why theirs better? Is it just because they're really good at rugby as opposed to the, the hucker being a thing? The other thing yeah. that in that same sort of thought process is they're in Ireland. Like, they're playing Ireland at home. Mm. So... If the Irish want to sing a song and sing and that's what the Irish do, go for it. Yep. The haka is a challenge, but maybe we've taken it a little bit too far and that they shouldn't be allowed to do the haka away from home. I can understand doing or, the haka or they can do home. it away. they can do it away from home, but it's within the rights of the home fans to do something to drown it out or to or to do their own challenge or their own response mm. to it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting one because... You know how in different grounds there's different expectations in terms of how a, a goal kicker is yeah, treated. Yeah, respect the so, kicker. So, yeah, there's respect the kicker at Twickenham, right? And for that, I have absolutely no problems. But then I know that at other grounds throughout the world, there are people that there were crowds, particularly when you go to like Buenos Aires for yeah. some of the Argentinian matches, they are loud, they are whistling, they are making so much noise. I am fine with that. Mm. I'm fine if different grounds have different idiosyncrasies yeah. and the, the, the fans uh, respond differently because it adds a bit of flavour to the nature of kind of international competition. So maybe within um, matches that the All Blacks play that are held in New Zealand, there's, there's um, information on the big screen saying, please show respect. Right? Well, I, you wouldn't, I wouldn't but, think in New Zealand you'd need to do that. Yeah, because maybe, maybe not, know. but you get you get the point that I'm putting yeah. out here. That like yeah, you have yeah. these home ground expectations, right? And if New Zealand want to do the haka over in Ireland, well, great, cool, go for it. But you know that there's going to be an Irish folk song coming back at you. And whilst that may not be intimidating, it might reduce some of the impact of the haka. Uh, so that, that's kind of, I yeah. guess, yeah. Now talking it out, I wonder if that's where I'm landing. That I have no issue with it as long as it's not like abusive or disrespectful. Exactly. Like, and I, I think, suck. And like I think we, need to be, we need to be careful in not going too far. Like there's a few instances and I think, was it England in the World Cup? Last World Cup, they challenged the haka by yeah, doing yeah, that yeah. U-shape and they got fined for it. And so it's, it's like, well, you know, let's not go too far. Let's not start finding teams because like if you're not doing something disrespectful, obviously as a team, if you're facing the hucker and, and I remember seeing this, the Wallabies in like the 80s did this, they just kept warming up. They were, they were in their track suits and they were chucking balls around and kicking and tackling and stuff in the background while the New Zealanders doing the hucker. They just did not take any notice of it. Now, if you're going to do yeah. that, I think that's disrespectful. 
But if you're going to challenge in some way, like we do, we've started doing the boomerang formation, those kinds of things. Let's not get too carried away world rugby. Let's not start fighting teams for that kind of stuff. Nah, stop that. All right, yeah. cool. I think that's enough on that conversation, mate. Um, is there anything you want to finish off with then? Before we do we... have one question around yeah. um, just to finish off the pod, really. So not about yeah. New Zealand this game, but it does relate yeah, to sure. New Zealand. So we got this question in from Ed Morton a few weeks ago, and I did mention to him that we would answer this question last week. We got a bit carried away, so we, we rambled on a bit. So we will do it tonight. <laughs> so Ed Morton asks, I have a question. Who is responsible for international fixtures? I'd like to know why the All Blacks play USA, Italy, and an understrength Wales, but not England on their end of year tour. Yeah, look, um, I think you meant to say Ireland instead of Italy then, but that's okay. Well, that's, oh, no, yeah, okay, so um, um, yeah, but they did play Italy last week. Yeah. yeah, they did. Italy, Ireland, and then um, France. They finish off with France, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I, I, my understanding is that it's up to the um, national bodies themselves to organise the fixture list that they're playing against. Mm. So there's no world rugby mandate that you thou shalt play this many teams against uh, games against tier two nations or anything like that. It is up to the um, the nations themselves to organise it and to negotiate and to barter, and that is essentially what happens. And it's why you see kind of Australia play Wales nearly every time that we're up there and England. Um, and England because from memory, of... I can always remember we played them this week during Remembrance Week because we're always wearing the jerseys with the Remembrance, the poppy yeah, on the, the poppy. Yeah. on the sleeve, and it's either England or Wales that we're always playing this week. Yep. Um, so I think it's just a common thing that teams that the national bodies do. They have these almost like a derby, mm. almost like these rivalries that have been built up over time that they want to maintain because of broadcast revenue that comes in from that. Uh, so yeah, there is no world rugby mandate in terms of um, who should play whom. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do understand where Ed's coming from in this because you look at New Zealand's fixtures this year. Like, you look at Australia, for example. We played France, and that was a competitive series. We move into the rugby champs. That was great. We beat South Africa. We beat Argentina. We didn't beat New Zealand. We then move into a fairly competitive European tour. Very and competitive, yeah. we haven't won a game yet. But you look at New Zealand. During the time that we're playing France, they're playing an understrength Fiji, Tonga, uh, Fiji and Tonga, and they put 100 points roughly on each of them. But then they move over and they play the USA. Then they play Italy and an understrength and Wales. An understrength USA team as well. Yep. Yeah. So they're playing USA outside of the re- registration, the, res- the, what is it, the word, the window, the test window. Yep. yep. So the best team in the world, ranked number one, are coming up against these sort of rugby minnows. It doesn't look good when they're putting 100 points on all of them. So yep. I understand where Ed's coming from, from that perspective. Behind closed doors, we, we understand why. Because that's the reason. And... It, it does make you wonder why uh, New Zealand aren't going up in the end of year tour and playing the top nations up there. They're not playing England. They're not playing uh, Scotland, who are in form at the moment. So yep. it, it does make you question that. That is one of the reasons why World Rugby is putting forth this nation's tournament so that every year we would have the the super, the um Six Nations teams playing the rugby champs teams. So every year right. you would have England and 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 ugh, New Zealand playing each other. Yep. Yep. And look, there's 
<laughs> there are a lot of conversation points that can come out of that, but we've been talking about the games for so long mm. that I feel like we need to wrap it up with a quick commentary on the games that will be coming up in the final round of the Autumn Nation series. So what I'll do, Mitch, is I'll quickly run through and just say um, who who is playing whom, and mm. you tell me which team is going to win. I'll put my tip in. No explanation, just give me the team. Okay. okay. So let's go Scotland versus Japan first up. Scotland. And by how much? 12. Okay, by about 12. I'm going to go Scotland by 20 because Japan have sucked recently. <laughs> you know, they nearly got beaten by Portugal. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, Italy versus Uruguay. Italy by I really 10. I want Uruguay to get up here. I really want them to get up. That'll be awesome. Okay, England versus South Africa. Oh, this is a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I it will put South Africa forward. Yeah, by how much? South Africa by five. I mean, yeah, England weren't convincing this week against Australia. They did enough to win, but they weren't convincing. South Africa have been good these last few weeks. So I think South Africa are going to bring a different game plan. Wales versus Australia. Australia. Bye. Uh, five again. Yeah, I was going to pick around five as well. I th- it's going to be tight. France versus New Zealand. What a cracker of a game. France by 10. Oh, France by 10. Mm. Okay, cool. I think France's game play is going to open up for New Zealand. Open up for New Zealand to counterattack well with. So I'm going to go New Zealand by 12. Uh, Ireland versus Argentina. Ireland by, by 20, 20 or more. Yeah, okay. Um, I think, yeah, I think about 18 for me. Um, just go a little bit under. Okay, cool. Well done, mate. This has been an absolute pleasure. And ladies and gentlemen, well done for getting to this part of the pod <laughs> if you have made it this far. Thank you so much for your support and for your ears and for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure. And keep an eye out on socials coming out throughout the rest of the week for our team predicted team that is for the upcoming game against Wales. Make sure that you get up early. The game's going to be at 4 30 am so i'll be getting up you're going to be getting up for that one mate i don't know yet i have to work next sunday so we'll see what happens oh we'll see what happens fair call mate (laughs) okay cool well mitch has been an absolute pleasure rev we miss you and love you hope you're doing well and everybody else thank you catch you next week bye bye